Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I am the Reverend Dr. John C. Dorhauer, General Minister and President of the United Church of Christ and a proud City Club member. My grandchildren love me, both of them. And by the way, if anybody wants pictures afterwards, I'm happy to show you. They are one and four years old, and someday I will tell them that I had the distinct honor of introducing Kizer Khan, and in that moment, they will not only love me, they will admire me. <laughs> Born in Pakistan, where he earned his first law degree, Kizer and his wife, Kishwala, moved to Dubai to work until they could afford to move to the United States. Their life here, serves as a testimony to what America always wanted to be and yet can be. They are living proof that our immigrant population remains one of the most courageous, most entrepreneurial and enduring communities in America. And they have demonstrated that when we are wise and receive the immigrant and the refugee as a gift rather than a threat, we all thrive. As a gold star family, Kieser and his wife have made the ultimate sacrifice to our country and to their country. Their loyalty to their newfound homeland is deep and sincere. Mr. Khan's love of the rule of law has earned him a much-deserved reputation as both a fierce litigator and a scholar whose mental acuity is admired by his peers. Of his two books, it is the second that is loved and admired by the youth and children of this country. Entitled, This is Our Constitution, Discover America with a Gold Star Father, that book is now being read by school-aged children all over the country. Mothers and fathers seek him out because their children ask for copies of his book and covet his signature in it. At a recent book signing, a young couple brought to him a copy of that book. And when he asked to whom he should inscribe it, the mother said, to our son. Kieser asked how old their child was and she pointed to her belly and said, he's not yet born. Yes, it is with pride that I will say to my grandchildren, 
I once introduced Kizer Khan. And like that young mother, I want my grandchildren, like her children, to know who he is, what he believes, and why we celebrate everything he stands for. So esteemed guests, let me delay no further. I invite you now to hear the voice of this true American hero, this gold star father, this author, this legal visionary, and the one whom I want shaping the mind of my grandchildren, Kieser Khan. Good afternoon. I am your reflection. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am humbled and so honored to be standing before you, um, share what our blessed Constitution has meant to me uh, as we celebrate 200 and 32nd anniversary of signing of our Constitution on September 17th, uh, 1787. First, my sincere gratitude. I apologize if my voice rises because such is the moment. Some things concern us most and we want to make sure everybody hears us. So I apologize ahead of time if my voice rises. First, my sincere gratitude to our veterans and their families, our women and men serving in uniform today and their families, members of our law enforcement, members of our national intelligence, our civil service, our foreign service, our Congress and our judiciary and the families serving along with these patriots, we are grateful to you for keeping the flame of liberty burning bright and for your service to the nation with exemplary dedication even during the most challenging circumstances. And my sincere thanks to the board and members of the City Club of Cleveland, its Chief Executive Officer, Dan Maltrop, and City Club's dedicated staff for making the City Club of Cleveland one of the oldest free speech forum in the country. Thank you. <laughs> Sincere Sincere thanks to the Cleveland Public Library, Global Cleveland, and its president among us for your leadership, and very especially thanks to Farid Sadiq for my introduction to the City Club and invitation to participate in this sacred celebration of our Constitution as our Constitution remains reflection of the soul of America, reminding us of the past 
and giving us hope for a better future. As noted by Patrick Henry Foundation that our history is compelling and relevant. Please listen to these words carefully. It may touch your heart. Our history is compelling and relevant. It informs our future. Our story is powerful and inclusive, educational and important to share. Our story shows that civil discourse and different point of view can bring people together and create positive change. And above all, our history shows with ultimate clarity that in the course of human events, one voice can change the world. Not too long ago, I attended my citizenship ceremony with gratitude in my heart for being elevated in human dignity by this nation, about which I only could dream since I first read the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States in 1972 when I was a law student in Pakistan. Even today, I remain in awe of the spirit of this blessed nation. I remember reading the Declaration of Independence while standing in my university dorm room, all 1,472 words of it. Yes, I have counted them since. <laughs> and all 18 grievances, and I invite you to read it under these circumstances. It will uplift your spirit. All 18 grievances listed against then King. How similar, I realized, these grievances were to the grievances of the entire colonized world. I was in Pakistan. That had gained its freedom in 1947. It's a long story, but uh, someday I'll share with you why I felt the way I felt at that moment, and I still remain in awe of our Declaration and our Constitution. I then read the articles of our Constitution. Yes, Article 1. Let me raise my voice so it could be heard in Washington. Yes, Article 1. People's Congress. People's Congress will be supreme legislative body of this blessed democracy, will always perform sacred duty of checks and balances and oversight of the government. Regardless of today's challenges to its sanctity, I thought then and still believe our Congress remains supreme institution of our democracy. And it was the intent of our forefathers to place our Congress as Article I institution of our system of government. Then I read the Article II, the presidency, the executive, Article II. And then, of course, Article III, the judiciary. And I understood how this civilized nation will lead the mankind by example of civility example of civility, tolerance, debate over differences, 
and respect for all opinion, then came the best part, our Bill of Rights. I call our Bill of Rights a sacred document in which human dignities are enshrined. I was then and remain today in awe of our First Amendment, the freedom of conscience, for which many nations and their leaders have come to America to learn how to uplift their people in human dignity. Let me read it and listen to these five words because they they speak so loudly of American spirit. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. I have sat in many of the conferences where foreign legislators, attorney generals, law ministers have come to learn about our First Amendment, how to take it back and implement to uplift their communities, their countries. And it is our First Amendment that faces the most challenge today. What an honor for me to be humbly standing before you as a proud resident of Charlottesville, Virginia. Remember, you must have heard and seen Charlottesville, Virginia. A blessed city of Thomas Jefferson and home of Mr. Jefferson's University where our son, Captain Himayun Khan, went to school and upon graduation joined the United States Army inspired by the lessons of public service of Mr. Jefferson. I also read with inquiry our 13th Amendment abolishing slavery in 1865. I've been asked that question. Have I noted that year? Why so late? And our 19th Amendment, women's right to vote adopted in 1919 and wondered why these human dignities came so late. These years of adoption of the amendments tell the world of our history of moving forward with the American experience. And that so much still needs to be done. Having compared our Constitution with other nations of the world, I state, and I have done that exercise many years ago because of my interest in our Constitution and the World Constitution, and I implore you to do that when your time permits. Compare the Constitution with other countries. I state there is none like the civility of our legislative process. What you see these days up on television, what is taking place, that is not what our civility of our legislative process is all about. Our rule of law, our separation of power, our checks and balances, these are very powerful concepts that we have lived all these years and we shall live with the rest of the life of 
this world. Not perfect, but with most human dignities enshrined in these American values. The constitutions of other countries grant their people what their government decides they deserve, but our is we the people. We decide what government can do. We tell the government what it can do. Read the first five words of the First Amendment. Congress shall make no laws. I have done that exercise, and I implore there are scholars and learned uh, friends in the audience. Do that exercise. Find out some of the constitutions of the world democracy. You will not find these words in any constitution where the supreme legislative body is forbidden to touch these American values as ours does. First Amendment, first five words. Congress shall make no laws, meaning that you cannot touch the freedom of press. You cannot touch the practice of religion or no practice of religion. And you know the rest. As we pay tribute to our liberty and freedom enshrined in our Constitution today, we must remind ourselves how it was before American Declaration of Independence. So we can appreciate why America matters to the mankind. And I'm not exaggerating. America matters, has mattered, and matters to mankind. And I offer the proof. We are aware of the history of mankind ruled by thousands of years, for thousands of years, by the kings, princes, dictators, authoritarians, an ordinary person like myself was to listen to the dictator's decree, follow it silently, but only until the American Declaration of Independence in 1776, where America said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, and I, um, with apology, add, all women and men are created equal. That, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. For the first time in the history of mankind, Americans declared that they will self govern as free people. First time in the history of mankind, America declares its independence. Today we pay our utmost respect to that love of freedom which did not come without significant cost to the original signatories to the Declaration of Independence. We express our most profound gratitude for their sacrifice and since then, thousands of those who gave all at the altar of liberty so that we could enjoy the freedoms, the human dignities that mankind had yearned from beginning, we promise them today that we will never forget them and generations of patriots who gave us the freedom we cherish today by sacrificing their all. 
as the vigilance of our national security leaders coming to the current circumstances. As the vigilance of our national security leaders has shown and warned us that our adversaries have attacked our institution of democracy, our sacred system of elections, and our unity by sowing hate and division among us more recently. Our adversaries, adversaries of human dignity, had shrewdly realized one weakness in our democratic system, our lack of participation. It was reported that only 30% Americans participated prior to 2016 in our electoral process. Our lack of participation in our election process so they decided to malign our elections by sowing division and hatred among us. They have done same in other parts of the world. With some success, but now the world has come to realize, like most of us, that America will not stand silently while corrupt dictators, authoritarians, kings, and rulers continue to attack our sovereignty. If you want to see the proof of our realization, see the level of participation in the last elections. It is reported that 2018 election, a record number of Americans participated to protect our Constitution. America is realizing that this non-participation is not, no choice, it's not a choice. Our democracy, our freedoms, from the attacks by our adversaries and to shield American elections from cyber and social media interference by our adversaries. My blessed country had bestowed the highest honor, the honor of citizenship upon me. It is my turn henceforward to participate not only by voting, but to remain engaged in our political process and by serving my nation within my capacity and caliber. When I became a citizen like many others, I recited that oath of citizenship, which new citizens recite. And I remember a certain part of it every day, which states, forgive me if I lose my composure while I read this line. It means so very much that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Yes, there are enemies of Constitution in, within the United States as well. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I promised myself to obey all laws when I took that oath of citizenship and pay my taxes timely. Yes, that's one of the obligation of every citizen. And participate in our system of democracy to strengthen it and keeping my promise to my country after 2016, even though it has been difficult at times as each speaking engagement reminds the valor and sacrifices of many sons and daughters of America that like our son, Captain Himayun Khan, who gave everything for something greater than themselves, 
in service of this great nation. I have continued to speak. Thank you. I have continued to speak for Constitution, for our unity and democracy, as Himayun would have wanted us to do under the current circumstances. Today is my 257th speaking engagement. I continue to speak also due to concerns expressed in one among thousands of letters that you sent since 2016. It was written by a retired military nurse with 20 years of service, including in Second World War in Europe. She wrote in the last paragraph of her long letter to me, and she says, Mr. Khan, continue to speak to remind us what is at stake, the similarities of intolerance, hate and division, attacks on the most vulnerable community of immigrants and communities of faith, attacks on our places of worship, are so similar to the time of pre-Second World War in Europe. Had more people spoken then, mankind could have avoided the atrocities committed before and during the Second World War. So continue to speak. I have continued to speak. And I humbly ask that you do same speak, organize, vote, and do your most what you can from your platform as dignified citizens of this blessed nation. In conclusion, I'm a patriotic immigrant American. I'm a Muslim also. But being Muslim is circumstantial to my calling. I'm here to remind all of us the holy maxims of the enlightenment and reason that we all can agree provide for a path to greater social justice. And here I pay tribute to the hard work and sacrifices of our civil rights leaders to uplift all of us in this blessed nation. So much more still remains to be done. Our neighbor is not to blame. Her hand is what we hold in facing the challenges of ever-changing world. We need to hold the hand of our neighbor, not blame her. I remind us the quote from Reagan's farewell address to the nation. I remember standing up in front of the television at home with the same awe I felt when I first read the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution in 1972. That was the first time I read Declaration and the Constitution. But this was 1989, Reagan had completed his second term and in his farewell speech, he said, I have spoken of the shining city all my political life, but I don't know if I ever quite communicated what I saw when I said it. But in my mind, Reagan is speaking, but in my mind, it was a tall, proud city built on rocks, stronger than oceans. Wind swept, God blessed, 
and teeming with people of all kinds, of all kinds, living in harmony and peace, a city with free ports that hummed with commerce and creativity. And if there had to be city walls, talk about walls. I hope Washington would hear. And if there had to be city walls, the walls had doors. And the doors were open to anyone. The doors were open to anyone with the will and the heart to get here. That's how I saw it and see it still, Reagan said. Mine and every immigrant's story is like that of John Winthrop, an early pilgrim, seeking freedom of conscience and choice and finding the shining city on the hill. Now that shining city needs you and me and our voice so that it continues to be a beacon for all free-minded people. Let's stand in solidarity as Americans. Let's stand in solidarity as Americans, like you and me and those who came long before to tell the world we still believe in America. Yes. We believe in the equal dignity as enshrined in our Constitution, our Bill of Rights. We believe in the dignity of every citizen. Again, happy 232nd day of signing of our Constitution. God bless you. God bless great city of Cleveland and the state of Ohio. And God bless and protect the United States of America. Thank you. blessing for all of us here today to listen to the voice of this Pakistani child, now an American citizen, remind us what a gift our Constitution is to the world, a gift that many of us who grew up in this land too easily and too often take for granted in a day when we ought not be taking it for granted. So thank you. I am again John Dorhauer, General Minister and President of the United Church of Christ, and today we're listening to our Constitution Day Forum with Kizer Khan, Constitutional Rights and National Unity Advocate and Gold Star Parent, also the author of An American Family, A Memoir of Hope and Sacrifice. We're about to begin our audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everyone. May we have the first question, please? Mr. Khan, thank you so much for being here. The City Club of Cleveland is the oldest continuous free speech 
uh, form in the country. We're continuous. Uh, some others have been there a little longer, but we've been the continuous one. It provides the opportunity for people of different views to speak. I would like your reaction to um, uh, something, someone who spoke, as you did at a forum, not too long ago, because uh, it, it raises a lot of the questions on uh, issues that you've raised. Mr. Corey Lewandowski yesterday spoke before the um, House of Congress, and he um, was asked many questions, and he uh, certainly tried to avoid many by using an executive privilege. He had never been a, um, a, an employee uh, of the White House, but um, he uh, used that method. And then also he made the comment that I would really like your reaction to because it has evoked a strong reaction in me. He indicated um, that uh, it was not essential for him to speak the truth in responding to the press because the press so often uh, distorts and um, doesn't tell the truth itself. With respect to the sacred right of free speech and the truth, I would like your reaction to that point that Mr. Lewandowski made. Well, um, I didn't get to watch because of the travels what uh, uh, had been recently taking place, but I can answer this in general terms that uh, uh, some of us, and I still call them us, uh, some of us uh, have, not, uh, uh, have not realized how important free press, our Congress, its functions of checks and balances, investigations, uh, making sure rule of law prevails, and there is a reason for that, uh, and that reason for those among us that do not realize the significance and importance of it is political expediency. This suits me today, so I'm going to say this. Totally opposite to that suits me tomorrow, so I'm going to say that. And the America and the world has become aware of that uh, sort of political expediency. So it is for that reason uh, that such statements are being made uh, uh, by some of us. And uh, uh, I assure you, I assure you that uh, the goodness of this nation uh, shall prevail, the rule of law shall prevail, the checks and balances shall prevail. Uh, the Supremacy of Congress shall prevail. We are working at it. We are halfway there. Uh, I have become quite partisan in my uh, speaking and in my thoughts, uh, being uh, aware of how this political expediency has uh, costed us some basic fundamental values of, uh, uh, of our Constitution, of our democracy. We are not the only one that are going through this phase. There are several other democracies in the world. As I mentioned in my remarks, that uh, um, democracy is facing challenges. But there is no other system of government that uplifts human beings. Perfect? Not at all. Not at all. Not perfect. But there is no other system of government as solid as ours that uplifts human beings. As I said, I invite America 
to read the Constitution, read the Bill of Rights, compare it with few democracies, and you will conclude yourself that this must be protected, this must be preserved, this anomaly is only momentary, it will pass. Remain heartened. I have seen, I have seen the sunrise on the other side of the mountain. It's only moments away. Mr. Khan, hello, thank you for being here today. Can you tell us how it was that you came to speak at the Democratic National Convention and the positive renown you've had for it, but if there have been any negative ramifications of it for you personally and your family, and whether you had been involved in politics at all in any capacity prior to that? My brother uh, Farid had instructed me to make sure I don't give long-winded answers. <laughs> and uh, be brief and, uh, and, and make sure I pay attention to the time. So I'll try to summarize what took us there because folks want to know, so bear with me. Uh, this is uh, 2016, 2015, in fact, December, when that uh, bigoted statement was made, I will ban all Muslims, I'll throw all Hispanics judges are bad and uh, uh, women don't deserve equal dignity and all that uh, uh, unfortunate statement was made. So wherever we would go, Ghazala and I would go to visit our grandchildren, their friends and all. Parents will bring their small kids. This is happening in Charlottesville. They will bring them that uh, these kids are so afraid since they have heard this when they go to school, they are bullied that, oh, you're going to be thrown away because you don't look like this or you look like this. And uh, they don't want to go to school. These are elementary school, middle school, high school kids. Uh, and uh, what should we do knowing that I'm a, I'm a lawyer? So I would pull out the Constitution from my pocket and I'll read the 14th Amendment and equal protection of law that, no, no you cannot be thrown out of here. And the children would listen to it, but wouldn't take it to heart. A couple of days later, I would call the parents, and uh, I would ask them. And they said, no, they don't sleep. They don't eat well. They don't want to do their homework. They don't want to go to what little the one who made the statement knew that how it is going to affect some uh, of the citizens of this, this great nation. Uh, so I would continue to remain engaged with them and hearten the kids and all. All of a sudden, we receive a call that uh, DNC is preparing a tribute to Captain Himayun Khan. Do you have any objection? I said, no, we don't. Um, so they prepared a tribute which is available uh, on uh, YouTube. Uh, Hillary Clinton pays tribute to Captain Himayun Khan. We saw it. To, they sent us a link and uh, we liked it. We said, this is fine. Um, that uh, uh, conversation concluded. A few days later, I get another call. They said, we have invited other Gold Star families. Would you like to come and speak at the convention after the tribute? Something told me that this invitation is not that uh, I had sought or I would uh, want to readily accept. 
So I said, can I think about it and consult with my family? Give me a day or so. They said, well, let us know tomorrow. The time is short, and uh, uh, we have to make the decision right away. I said, we will call you tomorrow. So I talked to our two other sons. They're scientists, and they're well-educated in Charlottesville. And they told us, please do not participate in this forum. <laughs> this is not your style. You have never been in politics. You have never been in public light. And uh, don't, uh, uh, don't do this. Uh, we thought they are being very protective of us. So we uh, said we will consult some other friends that are, a little more, <laughs> that are a little more savvy in public life and all. And uh, uh, so we called some folks in the community of Charlottesville. And they told us exactly the same thing. That we know you well, you're not uh, a public person, you have lived modestly, you have lived humbly, you have lived privately, and maintain the dignity of your profession, of your reputation, because once you go up there, then you are subject to all sorts of criticism, right and wrong. Um, so Ghazala and I discussed, and we are sitting in Captain Himayun, we have a, at home, we have a small room dedicated to Himayun's memory. All of his books and medals and uniforms and all are in that room. So we are sitting there. We are about to make the call to tell DNC that we apologize. Thank you. Just pay the tribute, and we'll be very happy. I see through the windows mail truck go by, and Gazala says, "I think the mail has come. Go check the mail, and we will make the phone call." This is early afternoon. I go and check the mail, and I see the mail, and then there is a, without a stamp, without any processing, there is a white envelope with a card inside. And out of curiosity, I'm standing next to the mailbox, and I open that card. Up until that moment, this is what happens when words of care change the course of your life. Always remember simplest words written, expressed, spoken with care could change the hearts and minds. So with this thinking in my mind that I'm going to go back up and we're going to call and apologize for not participating in that activity, I open the envelope and I read it. Name, fifth grade, name, fifth grade, name, sixth grade, name, sixth grade. In the middle is the sentence. And the sentence says, Mr. Khan, can you please make sure that Maria is not thrown out of this country? We love her. She's our friend. She's a good student. Thank you. I was, even today, the power of that simple sentence written with care for other by these four. I know we have wonderful students among us, and I want them to hear it, that never hesitate to show your concern. I walked fast and came to Ghazala and uh, I was overwhelmed by the sentiment expressed in that powerful sentence. 
And uh, so I couldn't speak because I knew I would break down because I was aware of the pain and the suffering of these students. Uh, so I simply, um, she's sitting down, I'm standing next to her. I do this, show her the car. She looks up, she reads it, and uh, she has always been rock, our rock, rock of the family, center of gravity for us, wise, sober person. I sometimes get too emotional on certain things, but <laughs> she's always the balancing uh, uh, part. She looks at the card, and she said, call them. I thought she's reminding me to call them that we have made the decision we are not coming. <laughs> no, we are not coming, she says, call them. And then the next sentence is what sent us. Tell them we are coming. We will speak for these kids. So, so it was our young leaders, it was them that sent us there. And we have not stopped speaking ever since. And uh, there are just so many stories that have taken place in our life. Um, and, and the journey has continued, has brought us to 257th speaking engagement tonight, today. And uh, life continues. Thank you. Any other question? We're so glad you responded to that card rather than to the advice you received. The President of the United States has been referred to as the most powerful man in the world. He isn't because of the checks and balances. And uh, I'd like to ask you, are you at all, have you at all been encouraged by the failures of Trump and the Republican Party over the past couple of years? Well, um, I am a firm believer that all of us have some good in us. I am uh, encouraged. Uh, us, our creator, has blessed us with some good in all of us. And sometimes we get carried away with the personal interests that we are willing to sacrifice everything that we are blessed with uh, for the sake of personal gain. Uh, I am uh, uh, not encouraged by the failing of someone I am saddened rather, because there is an opportunity to uplift this country, uplift this beacon of hope that so much work, so much more needs to be done. After the Second World War, let me give you one more example of the, of the, of the goodness of this nation sometime, because we are in and we are uh, involved in daily struggles and all that we forget that what our creator has meant for this nation to be, and it has been, and it will be. Let me give you an example. After the Second World War, the Europe and the rest of the world was totally destructed in ruins. Guess, of course, there had been some personal uh, interests as well, national interests, 
but it was only United States of America in the history of mankind which said, we will come to Europe and we will rebuild. And we rebuilt. We participated in the Marshall Plan. It is what, let's prepare ourselves. Marshall Plan for immigration, Marshall Plan to rebuild America, Marshall Plan to remove the injustice, the racial injustice that permeates in our country under these circumstances. It's you patriots that will lead that Marshall Plan. We are capable of it because we have done it before and we became beacon of hope for the rest of the world. Your turn has come now. You like it or you don't. Each and every one of you within the reach of my voice is the candle bearer. Like it or not, your time has chosen you to be the candle bearer. And you know candle bearers don't stand on the sidelines. They walk front and center. Your time has chosen you to be front and center from whatever the platform is, wherever you are. Sometimes it is only to make sure that you get up early enough and go to vote, ask friends to vote, participate in the election process, make sure that we deter those who want to sow division and hatred among us that, no, 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 we are not that. We are better than that. We have been, we shall be because the rest of the mankind looks up to us to be the beacon of hope. We have the capacity, we have the values, we have the systems. It's under challenge at this moment, but I'm, I'm hopeful looking back, knowing a little bit of history of my blessed nation, I am, I am more than 100% certain that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, sun is about to rise only moments away. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, it's on. Uh, Dr. Khan, um, Dr. Masood here from Ibn Sina. Uh, thank you very much for uh, being in the city again. I have um, a question and a request, and it's about the guns law. I think there's no other issue which has caused so much of anxiety, so much of a controversy, so much of deceit. And my question to you is, can you please once for all, I'm not a technical, I'm not a constitutional expert, what is the constitutional amendment which allows people to bear Kalashnikov and automatic rifles? We understand, we understand that the, the Constitution allows us to bear the arms, but every time when there is an issue about the gun violence, they come back that this is the constitutional right and we have a right to bear the arm. And my request is, with your eloquence, with your passion, can you basically take the activism and clarify once for all whether the United States Constitution allows people to bear the arms or not? I think that will be the biggest contribution that if you can make, perhaps that will be the, uh, something which will request you personally to take that issue and clarify once for all where the well, Constitution stands. Thank you. We're, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. You had been a wonderful host uh, when I was here last time. Uh, and uh, Senator Brown joined us, and uh, Connie Brown also joined us. So I was 
elevated in stature and in capacity. But uh, I am not an expert on, uh, on these debates, but I know this much. I implored you to read Justice Scalia, the most conservative justice of the Supreme Court, his decision on, and I would implore you to uh, type in and Scalia's decision in uh, Washington, D.C. versus Heller. That is the case. And uh, if you read the decision, he explains and he answers your question. And I will paraphrase. He says that when the Second Amendment was written, the nature of the weapons was different. This is a conservative judge, most conservative scholar of jurisprudence, writing, giving the decision, saying that when the Second Amendment was written, the nature of the weapons was different. Why would we apply this amendment to the weapons that exist today because of the advancement of technology? I have legal scholars among us, more learned people, so I don't want to be out of place and misquote things. I would implore uh, those who are concerned uh, to read that decision. It has an amazing, amazing uh, uh, rebuke of the propaganda of the gun lobby. Uh, it, it says to them, indirectly, it says to them that come to senses. Uh, these, this amendment does not apply to these weapons of mass destruction. It applied to you, know, you load one, uh, whatever was to be loaded in the, in the little uh, weapon and then fire it and then come back and then load it again. It doesn't apply. Uh, it is the it is as I said political expediency that uh, they have twisted the Second Amendment to a level where it doesn't prohibit uh, weapon for personal safety, living at home, living in the privacy and security of our home. But it uh, it is very telling. I was heartened and enlightened when I read the decision that that is uh, what, uh, uh, what we need to talk about. And, uh, uh, but the situation is that uh, most of us need to be aware so that we can tell our politicians what needs to be done and how. So thank you for asking that wonderful question. Today at the City Club, we have been listening to our Constitution Day Forum with Kazir Khan. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Um, thank you. Mr. Khan, we have this, this resolution of welcome. Um, I'm not going to read it because there's a lot of words here. And quite frankly, what's, what's been said about you in the introduction, I really have nothing to add. But, um, but what, I, what I can add is that I am truly honored to have you in our community. I speak on behalf of my 16 colleagues, and I think I go beyond that to speak for this entire community. When I, when I leave here, I always learn something, but it's rare that I learn something, and I move, and I'm challenged, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm the president of Cleveland City Council, and I'm a lawyer, and my god, I take the Constitution for granted. How can that be? 
So with that, I can assure you that won't happen again. Um, our community is proud to have you here. You are welcome to the city of Cleveland anytime, and we want to present this resolution of welcome to you. And every thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for all the consciousness you've raised, and thanks for continuing to fight the battle to, to preserve the Constitution and really fight for people whose voices need to be heard. So thank you. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.